Full Service Radio is supported by Compass, the future of real estate in the metro D.C. area and beyond. Discover more at compass.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I live, work, and love beer here in D.C. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer, continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. Since then, I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a different guest from different facets of the beer world, from brewers, importers, bartenders, educators, to help us explore this fascinating and dynamic world. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So earlier in May, I got the opportunity to go to the Craft Brewers Conference uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. But at the Craft Brewers Conference, there are seminars, different talks, different classes. It's a great opportunity for everyone to meet uh, in the beer world. Uh, But the biggest part is you have Brew Expo America. So Basically, this massive space is taken over, and there are over 700 vendors uh, that come, and it is a massive, massive trade show, the largest brewing conference and trade show in the U.S. And in this show, every single thing that you could possibly need as a brewer or brew pub owner uh, or anybody affiliated with beer, it is there. Uh, You have... Printing services, keg cleaning services, canning lines, maltsters, uh, hop farmers, water system uh, controls, bottle makers, basically anything you could possibly imagine is there. Uh, So I spent a decent amount of time uh, walking the floor and seeing what was there, talking to different people. So I have a collection of three different shorter interviews, uh, completely unrelated, but... uh, people that I found kind of interesting. So I first spoke with uh, Tristan Chan. He is the founder and uh, curator of a beer blog called Porch Drinking. And we talked about the uh, importance and the pros and cons of glass packaging uh, versus aluminum. First, I got to speak with Tristan Chan. He is the uh, curator of a beer blog called Porch Drinking. And we talked about the pros and cons of glass packaging uh, versus aluminum packaging. Uh, Then I got to speak with Chris Sarles of the Oregon Fruit Producers. I found this particularly fascinating because there are a lot of breweries that are using fruit now. Um, No, they're not using it now. There are a lot of uh, brewers using fruit uh, in their beer, and this is a really intriguing product, and how they ship it is very interesting. So uh, something to listen in on there. And then I spoke with the Honey Board. Lo and behold, there is a Honey Board. Uh, so enjoy these uh, adventures from the expo floor. 
so this is Tuesday, 11.30 a.m. I'm sitting down with Tristan Chen, the founder of Porch Drinking. Um, thank you, Tristan. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what Porch Drinking is, what you're all about? Sure. So Porch Drinking is a uh, national beer publication. Mm -hmm. We were founded approximately six years ago. Um, and I, it really got started because I was so drawn to the industry, um, the community that was created uh, within this industry is unlike anything that I've ever seen before. And I wanted to figure out a way to give back without actually becoming a brewer myself because I'm not very scientifically inclined. Um, that said, I uh, studied journalism in college and uh, felt that I could help to tell the stories within the industry um, that really helped to promote the industry in a positive manner. And so I reached out to a few friends and uh, we decided to create uh, this fun platform to showcase tremendous stories, uh, keep beer relatable and interesting. Um, and so I think we've been able to stick by that and uh, it's, it's been able to grow because of our, uh, our mission. So what kind of uh, stories do you all publish? Yeah, we talk to craft brewers across the country. Um, we do Q&As with brewers. We do um, Ultimate Six Packs where we pair uh, beer with Avengers characters or you know, <laughs> uh, we'll do uh, six beers for the Kentucky Derby. Um, we've also done um, you know, profiles of actual breweries, guides to different uh, neighborhoods or different cities. Um, for the Craft Brewers Conference, we put together a comprehensive guide to all the external events happening around the festival mm -hmm. um, that all the uh, breweries uh, that are in town and um, you know some breweries that are out of, out of town have put on uh, surrounding the festival. So we really, uh, over the year, also tried to become a resource for people that are fans of the industry or within the industry itself. So just out of curiosity, with the Kentucky Derby coming up this weekend, what, what would you recommend drinking? Uh, you know, Schlafly just put out a, uh, I think, a, a Moscow Mule mm -hmm. uh, bourbon barrel-aged beer um, that is perfect for kind of that, that uh, you know, bourbon flavor, and um, but also bright and refreshing. Um, a Kentucky Common is kind of a historic style that recently has seen a revival. Um, it's just a nice, easy drinking, um, but still malt-forward beer um, that's very similar to a, a California Common. Um, and then if you want something uh, from Kentucky specifically, um, I'm partial to Country Boy Brewing out of Lexington and uh, West Six Brewing um, also out of Lexington. That, that's, that's my hometown. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, absolutely. So how are you connected to this uh, Choose Glass movement? Yeah, absolutely. We've been um, able to partner with Glass, um, as, I, as I mentioned before, um, we've, we've tried to become, uh, you know, a resource for people within the industry and so uh, partnering with Choose Glass is, is you know a great alignment because we just want to educate people on you know how uh, glass packaging is still very much um, an integral part of what the industry does. Um, I think you know from our perspective it's it's been uh, you know glass bottles uh, within beer is still you know extremely applicable especially in terms of uh, being able to, it's 100% recyclable, mm -hmm. um, helps to really preserve the quality of the beer, um, you know, it, it reduces the dissolved oxygen uh, in, the, in the package itself, so it, you're able to maintain the quality of the beer uh, for longer and um, in a greater capacity. Um, also in terms of uh, taste, you know, it, it, it preserves that quality, so when, when consumers are, are drinking the beverages, they're able to enjoy it 
the quality and, and maintain that quality that you know you would get from just drinking it out of the tap. Um, and so that's that's one thing that's re really unique. But also the fact that uh, reusable bottles are becoming so prevalent is really interesting to us too. Um, okay. I think the recently recent study said on average reusable bottles reusable bottles can be reused up to 25 times on average. Um, so in terms of reducing the carbon footprint um, uh, from a sustainability method, uh, it's, it's really um, something that's very exciting within the industry right now. But also, um, from a consumer standpoint uh, and an enthusiast standpoint, I think it's really, uh, you know, bottles have always been, and I think will always maintain that level of experience for, for consumers when it comes to um, specialty beers. So, talk about barrel-aged uh, stouts, uh, you know, barrel-aged sours and wilds. That all, those are all higher-end products. Um, mm -hmm. And generally, uh, for me uh, personally, I, I, I generally associate those with bottle shares or parties where you're sharing with other friends, and you really try to create a sense of place and um, kind of time and place and story around those experiences and, and having that specialty bottle where sometimes it's in pork and cage format or a wax dipped, um, it just elevates that experience and it's, it's more memorable. Um, and, it, and you know, it, when you see it on the shelf, it's kind of like the sparkly new toy. You're seeing it and you're like, wow, I need that, you know, yeah. so. Um, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a really great alignment in terms of getting to understand what glass does for the industry. Um, we're just here to kind of share that story. Yeah. Many, so many years ago, I was the beer director at 11 Madison Park in New York cool. City. Awesome. Um, and with that, I had to be very selective as far as what beers I brought on the list. I mean, I did have 200 uh, beers to work with, but, sure. you know, at the end of the day, I couldn't go up to a table in a three Mission star restaurant and crack a can. Yeah, it's, um, it's still got, uh, I, it's still just not, it doesn't have that same panache to it. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, especially the artistry behind labels and, and whatnot, it really does start to feel kind of like a high-end wine at that point when you bring it out and present it to the table. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that's still going to sustain throughout, you know, throughout the rest of time. So. Yeah, and I mean, when you're in an industry that's essentially kind of going, essentially going up against wine, mm -hmm. you know, you want people to go out and select a beer. Absolutely. Um, so kind of getting on that level. now. Okay. I do have a question about, you know, kind of can versus sure. bottle. Yeah. Um, you know, I was under the uh, understanding that a can is great for transporting. It is great for the beer as far as protecting against any uh, light damage. Um, kind of how does how does glass stack up on that one? You know, I think there's a time and place for both. Um, yeah. I think it's uh, it's a great opportunity. Um, to kind of say that it's, I don't, I don't think that it's glasses, glass versus cans uh, per se. I think it's, it's kind of both. It's okay. just uh, understanding um, that there's a time and place for both. And I think that uh, the fact that glass is 100% recyclable, mm -hmm. um, uh, and so in terms of sustainability standpoint, that is kind of uh, something that helps uh, distinguish itself uh, versus some uh, alum aluminum cans. Um, the other thing. Uh, in terms of accessibility for for new breweries is, is really interesting, especially with the, the recent aluminum tariffs. That's going to have a huge impact on the industry 
Um, I think Oscar Blues might have mentioned that somewhere between $7 million is going to be uh, lost in term, based off of the, the recent tariff. I need to double check my the, the, the number on that just yeah. to make sure, but it's going to have a significant impact um, uh, in terms of affecting large breweries like Oscar Blues and small ones that have begun canning. But uh, in terms of accessibility to market, uh, I work for a small brewery. Um, mm -hmm. We can't afford to go out and buy a canning line starting out, even even after being three years old. Um, we just can't afford a canning line uh, initially because of the investment. And so uh, if we do want to release specialty bottles, we can go um, down to our local homebrew shop and buy you know, a case of bottles um, and hand bottle, hand bottle them within an hour. So um, in terms of accessibility to market, it really helps uh, to have that at our, at our hands. Okay, yeah. I gotcha. And there has been some research done as far as uh, a smell that gets imparted on the beer uh, when it's in an aluminum can, yeah. correct? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I, I can't speak to, to whether that's, you know, what, what the actual study is on that, but I mm -hmm. will say that, you know, the, the nice thing about bottles is that there are, it does leave no trace of uh, any impact on the actual ingredient itself, on the actual uh, product itself. And so it does maintain that high quality of uh, protection. Um, you know, also in terms of uh, talk to, talking about UV light and whatnot, it's, you know, having the those dark colored glasses generally uh, protect from any damage uh, when it comes to sun damage. As long as you keep it in a cool place, like you would with cans, mm -hmm. it still maintains that quality. Yeah. So it's you know it's only the green and the clear bottles that you have to worry about. Well, all. I mean, I don't think uh, clear bottles are, are uh, optimal for beer in, in any any sense. Uh, but no. I mean, uh, generally speaking, those darker, even green bottles, I think, generally protect uh, the product itself, retains the integrity. So you know, in an, in an ideal world you would want to see breweries kind of embracing both essentially I think so I think yeah. that there's uh, there's a place for both uh, you know it's it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish so kind of what where you want to see your beer go yeah, essentially absolutely. yeah because like I said at the end of the day you, you can't go up to a, a white tablecloth exactly yeah crack a can it just yeah, totally the imagery there just doesn't work <laughs> it's not the same it just feels like you're at a barbecue with your friends and uh, but uh, you know I think that there is so much opportunity out there for beer to grow, mm -hmm. and um, as you mentioned, kind of tackling that wine market. You know, beer beer can be accessible to everyone. You know, you have easy drinking pilsners and kolsches, and then you also have you know wilds and sours that are really pushing the boundaries of pe what people understand about beer. And um, to be able to get into that that marketplace and have wine drinkers understand that beer can be just as accessible and just as interesting and complex. In fact, in many cases, the flavor profiles in beer push way farther beyond what wine can, can do at all. So, um, you know, having that format for kind of the more refined drinkers is definitely going to help to kind of convert people to, to understand what, what beer is all about. Yeah, and help it grow. That's yeah. kind of what we're all trying Absolutely. to do, essentially. Well, thank you so much. You. I really, yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah. And I will let you know if I have any follow-up questions. Sweet. Okay? Yeah. Great. Got a, thank you. Got a card for you. Uh, you know, the company was founded in 1935 in Salem, Oregon, and we've been on the same site for 83 years. Uh, we're just getting ready to move into a, a new facility here uh, as the business has continued to grow. Uh, we, 
a lot of people know us for the iconic black can that's been on the grocery store shelves since 1935, and virtually everybody's mother or grandmother has baked the pie using our fruit. So a lot of people know it from there. And then also we have a business that's in the food service uh, world where we provide food for many, many of the restaurants and uh, other eateries around the country. And then we also have the fermentation um, piece of our business where we do business with breweries, distilleries, kombucha, cider, mead, uh, a number of different uh, segments of the fermentation business. Okay. And so have you noticed that over the past couple of years with the rise of you know incorporating more fruit into beer and then also especially with the kind of more hazy New England IPAs where you see a lot of uh, brewers adding more fruit to those, you know, kind of more brewer clients? Uh, you bet. Uh, what we've seen, the two of us, Chris Hodge and mm-hmm. Chris Arles, we spent 30 years in the uh, distribution business for beer. Okay. Um, and yeah. the family that owns Oregon Fruit today was in the distribution and the beer business for three generations. And so when we joined, after buying the company, then joining uh, with Oregon Fruit team, we said, we know this business. We really ought to just put a little more emphasis behind it. So the two of us have just kind of quietly worked on growing the business since then, and today it's uh, developed into a really, really nice portion of our overall business. And what we see is uh, just continued interest by brewers um, in fruit, some for very, very subtle flavored beers, others who want to accentuate the fruit. So we can really cover, uh, based upon dosage, you can cover what, what you want to get out of that fruit in your beer. Um, and then additionally, lost it. That's okay. It happens all the time. Um, now, Oregon, and a lot of people don't know this, but Oregon is like the best place to grow fruit. You all are incredibly spoiled with your pears and your berries and things like that. But I'm noticing that there are some other fruit flavors that you have. You have pink guava. You have mango. I mean, are those grown in Oregon? Imagine the warm house know, we have right? someplace <laughs> doing that. No. So our, our philosophy has always been as a company that we try and buy as local as possible. Okay. And then we just move out in concentric circles mm-hmm. until we finally find the fruit. So oftentimes on some of the um, citrus or the tropicals, we're going internationally okay. to, to be able to find those. But if you then came back to, say, blueberries or dark sweet cherries or blackberries, you're buying fruit that came within three, four, five miles of our plant. And I'm, I mean, obviously you have you know very high standards for what fruit you're using and, and that sort of thing. Uh, are you able to share some breweries that uh, use your fruit primarily? You bet. So the way I would do it, all of these folks, if we were walking on the other side, have given us permission oh, I see. to okay. say their names. Okay. And we do business with some of the largest breweries in the world, yeah. all the way down to some of the smallest, but not all of them have given us permission to say. I see. So I could walk out and, and read you a few names if you'd like. Yeah, no, I mean, I see some here. We have the Rare Barrel, you have Schlafly, you have Stone Brewing. I yep. see the brewery. Yeah, the brewery does, does a lot. Um, Rare Barrel, a great customer, St. Arnold. Uh, Epic. That's another Modern Times. Oh, Modern Times in San Diego. Nice. Yeah. Uh, um, Boulder Beer Company. Yes, there are uh, 
they've allowed us to use the name of Blue Moon. Uh, and then, literally, the number just expands every month. And it is from the very smallest, almost bigger than home brewer, up to the, the mega internationals that are using the fruit. And one of the things that they like about the fruit is that it's aseptically packaged. And uh, it allows us to ship it in an ambient temperature. Okay. And then it also allows them to store it in an ambient temperature for extended periods. So oftentimes, refrigeration is really tough to find in a brewery or in a restaurant, etc. And for shipping, that's more expensive. It is. So for us to be able to do that, so just all sorts of sizes of breweries and all walks, uh, all parts of the world uh, from the UK to Japan to Korea to Canada to North America. So aside from your really genius shipping and the fact that you can store it in ambient temperature, um, why else do people choose you? The, um, the fact that we've done all of the work for the brewer, what they love is that they can get the same quality, the same flavor, the same profile year round. Okay. And so if you can get that that consistency and then you get the ease of the shipping where low cost and that they can store it call it ambient um, that's a big big thing for yeah. folks in the room and when we ship where the this size mm-hmm. is a it's a five gallon bag yeah inside this box mm-hmm. most of the, the producers are produce a larger format and so the ability for the small brewers to kind of grow up with us they start as a home brewer yeah then they graduate to a you know a small craft maybe a group up and then on up that pack size is really easy to work with oh so you saw the homebrew shops as well we uh there's a brewcraft has a product country malt group that does, uh, they call it Vintner's Harvest. Okay. And Vintner's Harvest um, is a product that we've worked with them to make. And so the home brewers start with that and then kind of graduate up. And as far as the purees themselves, I mean, is there, what kind of treatment goes into it as far as the processing? So we simply bring the fruit in, put in a kettle and warm, and then ultimately it goes through a, a series of filters and screens that really get it down to what makes it as you've tasted mm-hmm. just this finely pureed product that uh, there's no chunks, there's no seeds, there's no skins. Um, what you end up with is just straight fruit. We don't concentrate, we don't dilute, we don't add anything to it. Okay. So you're just getting the pure expression of the freshest fruit. Um, and then from there, yeah, it goes through a, a heat tube and then ultimately over to a holding tank and then it's aseptically packaged through the aseptic filler. So pasteurized. Yeah. Okay. Is there a new puree that you're really excited about, one of your newer products? You know, the, the one that we just came out with recently is uh, Tangerine. Oh, nice. Which is fun and we yeah. uh, sold out of our first run instantly and so we, uh, wow. we're doing another one. But I think there's a couple of, uh, there's three fruits for me that are sort of old standbys, mm-hmm. traditionals, that are res- kind of getting their own resurgence right now, and that's plum, dark sweet cherry, and then one of our favorites in raspberry. Yeah. You don't see enough plum in beers, I feel like. And yeah. it's got a really neat, if you tasted plum or dark sweet, it's got a neat backbone to it. Okay. That gives great structure, uh, and that oftentimes people have 
they're saying, boy, I'm not getting enough from the fruit. And when you work with those fruits, they can be neat combinations where somebody might do a dark sweet cherry and then add a little boysenberry or a little blueberry. Oh, okay. And you can get some really neat uh, combinations of flavors. So it is a Tuesday afternoon. I am sitting down with Keith Size. Uh, he is the ingredient marketing representative uh, with the National Honey Board. Thank you, Keith. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Craft Brewers Conference. Thank you so much. It's been really outstanding so far. Got to hear some really, really cool seminars. Excellent. Uh, so what what are you about? What is this? I had no idea there was a honey board. There is a honey board, yeah, no, it's uh, it's an organization that is uh, part of the USDA mm -hmm. and sort of like what you see, people are more familiar with things like the American Egg Board or the Pork Council, the other white meat, uh, same kind of organizations, but ours focuses just on honey. So our goal is to promote honey usage. Uh, whether it's consumers going and buying a bottle at the retail store mm -hmm. or why we're specifically at this conference to talk to brewers about using honey in their beer. And are there any requirements that you have for the kind of honey that you would prefer people to use? No, uh, you, know, for the, you know, for the most part, honey is honey. That's what's so great about it. Whether it's made by a bee in somebody's backyard uh, or by a commercial beekeeper that has land up in North Dakota or even overseas, uh, the bees doing all the work. So uh, if you taste all those honeys, sample all those honeys, chemically, composition-wise, the properties, the ratio of fructose to glucose is all gonna be relatively the same. Mm -hmm. uh, where you're gonna notice the difference in taste is uh, based on where the bees forage. So that's, there's in the U.S. alone, there's over 300 different kinds of honey. Really? Uh, yes, and it's oh, wow. just based on where the bees uh, forage for nectar. So if you put bees next to orange blossoms, so orange groves in California or Florida, you're mm -hmm. going to get orange blossom honey. If you put them next to a field of buckwheat, you're going to get buckwheat honey. And if you put those two honeys close together, one is super dark, almost looks black, and the other is, you know, a light amber, what you would consider normal honey, but the tastes are going to be completely different, the aromas. So brewers, chefs, food manufacturers, consumers, I mean, you can play with honey in so many ways to create all these different flavor profiles. So it's almost like honey terroir. It's completely terroir. And a lot of brewers actually do it. Brewers and also uh, gin producers, because uh, we work in the, a lot in the distilled spirits industry, are sort of creating these beers that are called sort of walkable beers or forager beers. Basically, we're going to get ingredients that are in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, people, a lot of people think, oh, honey's only out on farms, but there's a lot of urban apiaries. Uh, so, you know, you could, you could do a beer with a, you know, beer from an urban apiary that, you know, express the terroir of your neighborhood, whatever your neighborhood was, and make it really localized, you know, things like that. So there's a whole lot of different ways you can play with honey. That's fascinating. Yeah. And have you found that brewers have noticed that with different honeys, like for example, buckwheat honey, mm -hmm. where you're getting that really rich, really kind of like almost molasses. It's definitely, flavor. yeah. Have you, have you, is there a higher sugar content in that? Or it's, not it's, a higher, it's not a higher sugar content. What's different from honey from other sugars like sucrose, regular table sugar, mm -hmm. uh, anything like that, is those are all mainly sugar, so carbohydrates. Honey actually has acids in it and enzymes. So that's what gives it not only the sweetness level, but also the flavors, those acids, things like gluconic acids, other aromatic acids, are given a little bit of tartness, a little bit of ting to that taste. 
So that's why it's completely different than other sugars. And yeah, you definitely see brewers playing around with different varietals based on what they want. Uh, you know, at the show, we're sampling orange blossom, buckwheat, and alfalfa. And for a lot of times, if a brewers want a sweeter profile to their beer, they're going to use uh, orange blossom because uh, it's got that traditional honey sweet taste. Mm -hmm. uh, if a brewers use a lot of alfalfa honey, uh, because it's a very floral, aromatic honey, so they don't want any sweetness to come through in the final beer. They just want you to put it up to your nose yeah. and taste that fields of wildflower, things like that. And then the buckwheat is used if you kind of want that funky taste in there because it's got a little bit of barnyard kind of flavor profiles in it. Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen brewers using honey for has been not only to up the... Um, finished ABV, ABV yep. mm -hmm. whereas you're giving the yeast more fermentable sugars, yep. so you're mm -hmm. upping the alcohol, yep. um, but to allow that to ferment a little bit longer so that you're getting a drier It definitely dries product. out, yeah, definitely dries out the beer. We see a lot of uh, brewers using it just for that if they're creating a, you know, a saison, a sessionable saison that they want to be able to drink a bunch of about on the porch, they'll use a lot of honey in it to, to dry it out and make it much more approachable, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. Uh, we did a survey, we do a honey beer competition, and we do a survey asking brewers straight up why they use honey. And uh, you know, a lot of people have this perception that honey beers are sweet beers, but it's not just that. It's like you said, to raise the APV, to dry out the beer to provide some sort of flavor nuance. So it's a lot of a lot of brewers don't use honey for sweetness, it's for so many other things. Um, and there's also kind of a rising trend, especially in the DC area because we are so close to um, Charm City Mead Works mm -hmm. and you know there are a lot of meaderies yep. kind of popping up and stuff like Definitely. that. You, you've seen a oh, significant yeah. growth in that. I'm yeah, sure. we've seen a huge growth in mead. Uh, you know, we think there'd be even more uh, from brewers because a lot of brewers want to get into mead, mm -hmm. but then you have to apply for a wine license too. So oh. a lot of brewers brew mead at home uh, that they love, that they wish they could do in their breweries, but just, you know, applying for a wine license on top of your beer license is a little bit of a difficult thing. But no, I love where the meads and mead industry is going, where it's not only, you know, still fine meads that are 16 to 18% alcohol, but now we're seeing a whole new line of sessionable meads that are 4 to 6% alcohol, uh, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that there's a honey beer competition. Yes. Please tell me all about Yes, that. so we started doing this four years ago whenever we put a focus. Uh, in 2015, the National Honey Board uh, did a study to see of the large food and beverage manufacturers what industry was buying the most honey. Mm -hmm. And uh, we knew beer was big, but it ended up being number two. So, uh, what uh, non alcoholic beverages, so ah, things like okay. ready to drink teas, oh, juices, yeah. things like that, lemonades. Okay. Uh, so we started doing a honey beer competition. In the first year we had 20 entries from professional brewers, second year 50, and last year we had 106, and this year we're probably gonna have around 150 to 170. So you didn't wow. even know there were that many you know, honey beers out there, but it's something that the industry has really embraced, not only from a standpoint of everybody in the food and beverage side or wanna go to more all natural products, less chemicals, things like that, uh, a lot of it's the story. You know, honey's got a great story from how it gets from the bee to the bottle is pretty amazing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they love using an ingredient that not only adds to their beer, but, but really, you know, has that story that they can tell. 
And I mean, from what I understand, using honey is good for the environment, encouraging. Without a doubt, yeah. you know, with everything going on, with with the trouble the bees that everybody's heard about, colony collapse disorder, uh, you know, the more honey that's consumed, the more people care about it, the more money uh, we can dedicate from the National Honey Board to research, uh, other universities can research it. So, you know, getting people to think about honey not only as an ingredient, but also a cause and something that's important. Is, is really key to the message we're trying to get out there. And who won last year? Last year was a brewery out of uh, Bloomington, Indiana called The Tap. Okay. And uh, they actually won best overall with a beer called Gossamer Wings, which was a honey Kolsch, and they had three beers placed in other categories. Wow. So he really, uh, the guy's named Jared, and uh, he's one of the best honey brewers out there and he just knows the nuances and how to make honey come through in a beer because it's a bit challenging because yeah. it's 95 percent fermentable so if you just chuck it all in in your boil you just threw away a lot of really you yeah. know really good things and you'll get some flavor out of it but but not much but he really knows how to use uh honey and it showed last year uh and I remember watching the judges do the final judging, and I mean, it was not even a question. Everybody was like, "This is the, this is the best honey beer by far. This yeah. is best in show." So, oh, that's impressive. Yeah, honey Kolsch. I could definitely honey Kolsch. Yeah, no, yeah. honey Kolsch is a great style. Uh, Rogue Ales, which had won our previous two competitions, mm -hmm. they won with the honey Kolsch too. So something about a Kolsch, <laughs> uh, Kolsch goes well with it. Yeah. I mean, Kolsch's are so approachable and easy drinking. And then a little know. bit of honey in there. And then yeah, it's, ex it's perfect. Exactly, <laughs> definitely. Excellent. Well, this is a really, really cool thing, and I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me a little bit about this. No problem, thanks. All right.